It's Brian Preston, the money guy. Restoring order to your financial chaos. Retirement, investing, taxes. You've got financial questions, he's got financial answers. It's Brian Preston, the money guy. It's Friday, November 10th, 2006. I gotta tell you, here in Georgia, you would never know it was November. It's actually going to get up to about 74 degrees, clear skies, a few mild clouds up there just to give it a little color and texture. But it is a beautiful, beautiful day here today. Um, kind of puts you in a good mood. I don't know how you could not be in a good mood when you come in and um, the weather's this good. But I do have, I think we're about a week off on this um, financial chaos topic because I should have done this probably last week and made this our Halloween show. Or, or a week and a half ago, because I got to tell you, today's financial chaos topic is going to be on retirement in crisis, and this is some heavy stuff, but tremendous information that I'm about to provide you. Now, remember, going ahead and giving you the, the overview stuff. This is the Money Guy podcast. Our whole purpose here is to restore order to your financial chaos, and there's several ways that you can contact us. You can contact us through email. That's Brian B R I E I A N at money-guy.com. You can also call our toll-free number. That's 1-800-762-8502 to leave a voicemail for us. And you can also now contact us through our MySpace URL. And you can go there at myspace.com backslash moneyguypodcast. We've actually signed up quite a few friends. I think in the next podcast, I'm probably going to give you some unique facts about a few of the friends that have signed up because you guys are pretty interesting people. It's always very entertaining to go out and um, read who is subscribing and listening to our podcast. Um, also, I want to thank you guys for all the positive comments you put out there to iTunes. I think that truly is what keeps us on the front page of the business section of iTunes. And I would encourage you to please continue to support the show by um, going out there and leaving those positive comments. And let me know what we can do to improve the show by sending me a personal email as well. Um, also, please check out our website. It's money-guy.com. You go get copies of these show notes as well as you can go and subscribe on the website now through your email address so you get the show notes sent to you automatically whenever we do update the show. But today we are going to be talking about retirement in crisis, and this is some pretty heavy stuff. I got an email from a, a podcast subscriber. Um, her name is Helen. Thanks, Helen. I want to thank you so much for sending me that email because what she provided me was was a link to watch the PBS Frontline special on Can You Afford to Retire? And I've put that link actually out there on my on the website, money-guy.com, so you can go and actually watch the show for free. And this, this is some tremendous information out there because um, it really touches upon a lot of what we've talked about in previous podcasts. I really am nervous about the future of American, America and, and its retirement system because we've done some different things. And it's not because the system's broken to say so much as it is that most people are not doing what they need to do. In the past, I'll tell you, it, it, we're a world, you know, totally different place than we were in the not so distant past. Back in 1974, 11% of a person's retirement, a worker's retirement, was funded by themselves, meaning that's what they had to take out of their paycheck was 11% um, over their you know, working career, and that's what would provide, as, while their employer provided 89% of the, of the retirement contributions. You fast forward that to 2006, now it has flip-flopped. 
The employee actually covers 51% of their retirement savings, and the employer provides 49%. So you can see there has been a 40% drop in what the employers put into your retirement, and that's just part of the changing system. And you ask yourself, well, why in the world has this changed so much? How, how did this all go about and happen? And, and really what has happened is that pension plans, that's what, that's what was provided in the past for our parents and grandparents and really is what the foundation of a lot of them, the retirement for many working Americans has been in the past is that they, they got these defined pensions that would provide a monthly benefit for the rest of their life until they passed away. Well, those are now pretty much extinct. They're on the endangered species list and, um, they're not coming back. And you ask, well, why is that, why is that happening? Why have we lost these pensions? And truly, it's because there's, there's been a lot of changes in the global marketplace. The world is not the world it was 20 to 30 years ago. Um, companies, you know, as you've probably noticed, and I'll go ahead and tell you, I'm going to go on a little sidebar here. And I think this is great advice. Back when my father was alive, one of the biggest things he told me, because he was working for a corporation for probably about 23 years, and they laid him off. He was in um, you know, mid-level management, and they decided they were just going to get out of their, the business. And he was in his late 40s, and um, they just basically cut out that, that segment of their business. And he was without a job. And, and some of the best advice he gave me was, don't tie your future up with a corporation. He says, look at what's happened to me. They're going to put me out here and have to go find a completely new job in my late 40s. And that's not so different now when we talk about retirement plans. So much of the world now, because companies don't have the relationship they had back with their employees you know, a generation or so ago, you now have to do everything yourself. There is much more accountability and personal responsibility that you have to take care of yourself for retirement as well as for just your employment. Um, and that's why I think, you know, as I told you in a previous podcast, what do most wealthy people tell their kids to be? They tell them to be doctors, lawyers, attorneys, and accountants, and architects. Those are all service industry businesses that you can um, go work for yourself. That's a, that's a complete sidebar to what the financial chaos topic is today. But I do think it's important because it is not so different from what I'm talking about here with um, retirement. Because it is a global marketplace, you know, companies have now gone to these defined contribution plans, which are your 401Ks, your 403Bs, and those type of setups instead of going with the defined benefit, which is the pension. Um, so, so you have seen a lot of changes. Also, and the reason they've done this is because pensions have become too expensive um, to, to offer these products, as they say, to stay competitive in this global marketplace where labor is much cheaper, obviously, over in Asia and other continents than it is over here in the United States. So to compete, they've had to find ways to be more flexible and cut out benefits. Um, also, pensions, I can tell you, with the extended life expectancy of most employees now, they've become legacy liabilities that companies just aren't willing to take on anymore. They're, they're you know, they've... Uh, all of them have pretty much phased out all pensions, um, you know, because they realize this is a legacy liability that we're going to have to cover for many, many years, and it's gotten more and more expensive because of the life expectancy um, that can be in, anticipated because of the breakthroughs we've had in medical science. Um, you also see companies now are bought and acquired, and they merge with other companies. Um, they downsize constantly. Go look at what's happening to GM and Ford, and you can see what I'm talking about. And if you have these huge pension plans, 
Um, it's just hard for them to streamline their financial flexibility with these huge legacy liabilities. So they're starting to realize that they can't take on these liabilities when it takes out some of their flexibility. Um, pensions also had a tendency to be completely underfunded. And how do you say, how did they get away with underfunding all these pensions all these years? Well, we had that runaway stock market of the 1990s that allowed them to not put enough money in a lot of their pension plans, meaning that the assets are much less than what their future promises and obligations are to their employees. And that's a, that's a, just a very dangerous situation that's out there. And you can ask yourself, how deep is this crisis? Should I be scared? Why are you even bringing this up, Brian? And, and I'm telling you, the reason is because this truly is a crisis. I, I get so nervous because 401ks have not been around for that long. They were a, um, an IRS provision that was um, first showed up back in 1978. It had to do with Xerox was trying to do some um, executive compensation plan, and this showed up about 1978. And then in 1981, there was a legislative change um, that allowed uh, essentially the the contributions to be deductible um, for, for 401ks. And in 1981, when that change of legislation occurred, these things caught on like wildfire. Because it is pretty sexy if you think about the fact that you've got ownership. You know, that's what 401ks allow is they allow you to have ownership, but they also allow you to... Um, to lower your taxes by saving for retirement. That, that, that is a great sounding thing. And, I, and I'm a huge fan of 401ks when they're in the hands of somebody who knows what they're doing. But so often, most, uh, most workers out there are not doing what they need to do. But I ask you, how deep is this crisis and why should you be concerned? I'll tell you, the um, Pension Benefit, Benefit Guarantee Company, that's the government agencies that provides um, a low level of basic pension insurance. So if in case your company faults on um, their pension, you know, they will provide some type of benefit for you. They estimate the following numbers. They say that there are 18,000 pensions that are underfunded currently. And then if you try to put a dollar amount to that underfunded, that 18,000 companies that have underfunded their pensions, that number comes up to be, now listen to this number. This is a tremendous, tremendous number. That number comes out to be $450 billion. That's billion with a B. And I'm so concerned. I think this is going to be the next huge thing out there because we've already, I think the die has already been cast on if you go look at the, what's happened in the airline industry. And that's what a lot of this frontline special talks about in the very beginning. As you go look at what's happened at United, as well as now Delta is doing it, a lot of the um, companies have realized when they get into financial trouble, one of the easiest things that they can do to really provide the flexibility to make changes and to make themselves a leaner and meaner company is to really walk away from their promises to their employees and drop these pensions. And it's just unfortunate that, that it's come to this point but this crisis is huge. $450 billion is not a small sum of money. And so you can see, I think that when I was watching the Frontline special, I think they talked about the United, the restructuring of United when it went through bankruptcy, the Chapter 11 bankruptcy. The shedding of that pension alone saved them, I believe, somewhere around $7 billion just for that one company. And these things aren't cheap. To go through and 
essentially dump your pension and go through this bankruptcy proceeding so that you can go restructure your company, it costs these companies over $400 million on average just to structure this. So you can see how complex and how expensive this is, but they're going through and doing it. Now I get nervous. Um, you see what's going on in the, in the manufacturing, the auto industry. I wonder what's going to happen to GM and Ford because they're going to have the exact same issues that you saw with the airline industry is that these pensions, you know, you, you think that you've got these things for a lifetime, but they're really only as good as the promise of the company and, and how serious they are about keeping that obligation. And unfortunately, the horrible truth is bankruptcy has just become an accepted tool for the corporate America. And that's a... You know, and, and I'm a big capitalist. I hope y'all understand. I'm, uh, I'm you know, I, if you probably listen to this, you can probably tell that I'm, I'm pretty, um, pretty much a person that supports a lot of things that goes on in corporate America. I'm, I consider myself a capitalist to the bone. But I will tell you one thing that I'm troubled by is that bankruptcy has always had a, a, a shame attached to it. There's a connotation that you should be very shameful whenever you file bankruptcy. And I think that that's actually a healthy thing. Obviously, you don't want most people on an individual side going out and declaring bankruptcy because it is not a healthy thing because that's how our whole economy is driven by if somebody tells you they're going to pay you something, they actually come out and pay their debts. And I, and I think that it is. There should be some type of shame uh, if you ever have to file bankruptcy, because that means you've done some very bad decision-making. I, I know you've probably, maybe there's some medical issues or some other things that can push you into situations, and I, and I understand those things, but I think it is a healthy thing that, that it's not a good thing to go through bankruptcy. And unfortunately, I think in corporate America, as I've already said, it's become a tool more than a shameful event. And um, I think in the past you saw many, many years ago, most companies would never consider bankruptcy because they would think, well, how in the world can I, I keep my reputation with my customers if I'm out there filing bankruptcy? And somehow that stigma has left. And you see now it has become a very profitable tool for attorneys and um, these consultants to come in and help these companies shed these obligations. And that bothers me a little bit because I think when you make a promise to somebody you really, really have to keep that promise, and that's how you drive that you are a good moral person, that you have a, a backbone, that there's a, a fiber to you, that you know that um, you know what you say holds dear. Because you know I've always held that word, your word is one of the most important things, so people know they can trust you. Especially in my industry of doing wealth management for clients, if I can't grow their trust, then obviously they're not going to be able to believe in what I'm, I'm suggesting to them. So the fact that most companies are now looking at this as a tool is a very, very dangerous thing because there's many, many workers out there still living off of pensions. My father-in-law um, retired from um, one of the big utility companies down here in the southeast. He gets his money from the pension. I think he's going to be in fine shape. But I do worry about, like I said, the automotive industry, the airline industry, and then any other companies that maybe the economy has left them a little bit and they haven't been competitive in the global marketplace. So... That, that's the scary thing that I see out there. If, you, if you're living off of a pension, it's really only as good as the promise of the company that made that, that pension to you. So what has happened? What's the pension alternative that has shown up in the marketplace? And that's 401Ks and employee ownership. And I've already said, I'm going to go ahead and recap this again, but you know, 401Ks and similar plans have become 
you know, really the, prefer, pre, the preferred tool for most of corporate America. Um, 401ks do offer the tremendous opportunities because they do allow you to have complete ownership of the assets. Like I said, you can build up your assets to a point that um, maybe you can even provide some type of wealth to family members like children and grandchildren if you manage your money properly. They also have that, that sexiness to them and the fact that you get to lower your taxes. Anything that you can lower your taxes is a tremendous tool out there. Um, but they allow you to lower your taxes and, and save for retirement. That's known as deferred um, a tax deferred growth that you see out there. So th these are some positive things about 401ks, but I'll tell you, there is a problem. And it's not the problem with the tool so much as it is with the people that we're giving the tool to handle. And that is the workers. Most workers are lazy and uninterested in their retirement. And, I and this is going to be cold, I will tell you. I don't know of any way to really candy coat this because I know there's, what I want to make sure is that my young listeners, because I know there's quite a few of you out there, can realize how important it is to start saving early for retirement. Because the longer you wait, you take out the biggest asset to investing in a 401k, which is that compounding interest and that compounding rate of return. Time is your best friend when it comes to that. And I have told you all time and time again when we've talked about retirement that it is so easy to become a millionaire if you just started early enough. But every year that you wait, you really put yourself at a disadvantage. And I also want to be harsh about this for my older listeners, because I know there's a group of you guys out there as well, because you know, especially my baby boomers, y'all are coming to the point in your life where you have to start thinking about retirement. And as I told you, most workers are lazy and uninterested in their retirement until they hit that point that most baby boomers are at now where they look up and they realize that retirement is probably five to seven years away. And they start thinking, what in the world am I going to do? And I think that's too late. You cannot just wake up five to seven years before retirement and say, I've got to make sure I've got the right plan. And what's the proof? I'm not just, this is not just bronze conjecture on this. This is not just where I'm giving my opinion. The proof is, is that it is the low participation rates that are out there. On average, 25 to 30% of you that are, have access to these retirement plans do not participate. Pitiful. Shame on you for not participating if you're part of that 25 to 30%. It's usually free money. You think about when they set up these retirement plans, you know that, um, that, that percentage that you see your employers putting, which is that, um, that 50, that 49%, that's coming from the matching and the profit sharing. And if you're not participating, you're leaving that on the table. That's free money. I mean, if you walked by a table and it said free money, how many of you would walk by? But you get a 401k plan at your employer's and it says we'll give you 50 cents on the dollar for the first 6% that you put in. How many of you just look at that and go, I don't care? That's free money you're leaving on the table. Don't do it. So that's, you know, you look at that, low participations is, is plaguing this system. You also only see about 10% of the participants that are maxing out their, their retirement savings. Also, you see many workers that use their retirement savings accounts as their rainy day fund. You need to be prepared when you put money into a retirement account that it's going to stay in that account until you actually retire. I mean, we don't call it a retirement savings account for anything, but you'd be surprised. I think the percentage is around 50% that you will see people who work at a job, 
you know, and, and as I told you, it's not very stable in corporate America anymore. You go work for one company, you might stay there for three or four years, and then you go pop around to another company. And it's not uncommon for you to have four, five, six, maybe different 401k plans at each different company. You know, you'll have a different 401k plan at each company that you're at. Well, 50% of you, when you leave to go to another company, will take that retirement money that you've saved and just take the cash distribution option. You'll call, you tell your employer, say, hey, just give me the cash. I'll pay the penalty. I'll pay that 10% penalty. I'll pay the income taxes. I'll cut my savings in half by 50% and then go spend it on something that really I probably won't have in five to seven years. I don't care if you're buying a washing machine. I don't care if you're buying a car. These are all assets that are going to go away in five to seven years, whereas you've got a retirement that's got to provide for the rest of your life. But 50% of you are taking those cash options, spending that money, and then you get into retirement and you wonder what in the heck happened. Why do I have no money? It's because you went and spent it on something that you thought you couldn't do without, and you're treating your retirement account like it's a rainy day fund, not healthy. I don't care if you're even using it for something as healthy as education. That's a good thing. You can pull out money and use it for education penalty-free, but you've got to make sure if you do it for those purposes or that new home purchase, because you, you know they put that provision in there as well, you better make sure that when you come back and start saving, that you double up. That you're really loading it up. And anybody over 50, take advantage of those catch-up provisions that are out there. They're there for a reason because they know most baby boomers have not saved like they're supposed to for retirement. Also, most workers underestimate how much they need to save for retirement. This is a sick balance that I'm about to tell you. This is the average balance, according to the Federal Reserve, of most retirement plan accounts. This is for everybody. $29,000. I don't know about you, but um, I retire with $29,000. I can pretty much just shut up the shop and know that um, I'm going to have to work till the day I die. $29,000 won't pay for too many things, especially after it's, we know it's pre-tax money. We're going to have to withdraw that money, pay income taxes off of it. We're going to get left with probably 75 to 80% of the money. That's not much. So $29,000 is disgusting. When you think about that's what the average balance is for most of these retirement plans. At a minimum, you've got to have eight to ten times what your annual, gross annual earnings are when you retire. And that's the minimum. I actually think that when I heard that number on this frontline special, I thought that was really low, to be honest. They, I, I saw how they did the calculation. If you watch the show, you'll see how they did the calculation. But I thought it was quite low. I think that they really are only assuming that you're going to live 15 to 17 years into your retirement, and I think that number is quite low with the life expectancies that are increasing because of medical science. So if you want to get my opinion, I think that even 8 to 10 times your current earnings is um, a pretty low number. They also say, and this totally backs up everything I've said in previous podcasts, and I've even had discussions, quite heated discussions with some journalists over this when I've been in some magazines, is that I think, and this is part of that millionaire next door philosophy, that you've got to save 15 to 20% of your gross wages. And if you watch this Frontline special, you'll see they say 15 to 18%. So I go ahead and stand completely by my 15 to 20% number, and that's gross. You've got to put that in pre-tax. That's what you need to be saving for retirement every year that you're out there working. And that's and if you do that, you can feel much more comfortable about doing everything else in your life. When you do go out and buy, you know, that new car or if you go out and buy that extravagant vacation, if you're saving 15 to 20% in your retirement account, 
No guilt. You don't have to worry about it because you know you're paying yourself first and doing what's necessary. But very few people are doing that. And I think that, like I told you, I've gotten arguments about this with journalists because I think the, the perception out there with the general public is, is that they're saved, you know, somewhere between that 5 to 10% of their gross wages, they're going to be in great shape. And that's exactly what it talks about in this frontline special is that most employers, I think, with their matching and the employer and the employee putting their money in, it's about 9%, which makes complete sense because you see most 401ks give you 50 cents on the dollar for the first 6% of your wages. So you see most people do the minimum to get the match. So they do 6%. And their employer's giving them 50 cents on the dollar. That means they're doing and getting an additional 3% from their employer. That's 9%. That's not good enough. I think you got to be doing 15 to 20%. And I'll go ahead and tell you, I'll go out on a limb and tell you that I tell my clients 15 to 20% of their wages, not counting the employer's contribution. That's just gravy because I think it's that important. I want to make sure that you're not eating potatoes, that you're not just eating, you know, the you're going and worried about how you're going to pay for your, your groceries, how you're going to pay for your medicine. You've got to take retirement very, very serious. The other thing that is really killing most people when they're thinking about saving for themselves and using the 401k properly is that most workers are horrible investors. And there's um and I'm going this is completely outside of frontline. This is just my own experience in doing you know and reading the research out there. There's a 2003 Dalbar study and it says that the average equity investor earned 2.57% from 1984 to 2002 versus, listen to what the S&P 500, if you just bought into the index fund during that exact same period of time, you would have earned on average 12.2% per year. You, you hear that? See, most people, most investors left 9.5% on the table in their return because they usually do the world's worst things. Most of them, especially in retirement accounts, you go into these 401k plan meetings and it's not uncommon, you'll see people that will just Put everything in the money market option, the guaranteed option. And, or you'll see the opposite. You'll see um, the 50-year-old gentleman that goes out and buys, just puts 100% in the technology fund. And then they wonder why in the world they've ran their investments into the ground. Or the other thing you'll see is the emotional investing, where when the stock market like it is now getting heated up, hitting all-time highs, you start seeing people getting you know, frothy at the mouth where they're getting excited and they go in there and they invest. And then when you get the first hiccup, when things start to really give back, you give back a little bit of that money, 10, 15 percent, because we get into a, or you know, maybe a little bit of a recession. What do these people do? They go and sell at the low. Remember that you're supposed to be buying low and selling high, but you see people do time and time again the exact opposite. They buy high, sell low because they don't have the stomach to hang in there and head for the entrances when everybody else is headed for the exits. And that's the way you have to be. You have to be somewhat of a contrarian when it comes to being an investment person to, to be successful at it. But that's what you see time and time again. And this research shows it, that the average investor, average investor does a dismal job of managing their money. There's also what's called yield disparity. And this is quite interesting. This is talked about in this Frontline special as well. They have done quite a bit of research out there. And what they have found is that in most retirement plans, 
If you compare the, the, the annual performance of the bottom 20 employee, 20 percent of employees based upon income, meaning the people that make the low, the 20 percent that make the lowest amount at the company, and then you go compare that to the top 20 percent at the company, the high income earners at that company, the rates of return are off by five to seven times what that low income person is making. And I'm not talking about how much you're putting, I'm talking about just straight rates of return, meaning that if the low income person in that bottom 20% made 3% because they chose the guaranteed option because they didn't know what to do elsewhere, the top guy is getting somewhere between that 15 to 21% performance for that exact same year. And that, and that you do that year over year is not unrealistic to see why you see some of these people with very comfortable retirements, and then you see employees because it's all relative. Wealth is relative. If you make $30,000 a year, you save up you know, half a million dollars in your retirement account, you're going to be fine. You make $100,000 a year and you got $500,000 in your account, you're probably not going to be fine. So wealth is relative. So it's not uncommon <clears throat> if you just look at this and know that if that you had that person and they're getting lapped by five to seven times their earnings every year, it's not unrealistic to see why it's usually the um, low incomers that are getting hurt the worst. They're making the worst decisions. And what happens? You get the rich are getting richer. And that's exactly what happens in my industry as well. I've, this is why I've told you why we do even have this podcast. I have a minimum. Matter of fact, my minimums are, are going up. As of January, we're changing our ADV. Um, for our firm, and we're pushing our minimums up because we've we've acquired we've gotten some new clients this past year. Things have been very good for us, and the way we can make sure that we do a good job with our our clients and service them and, and make sure we're timely on calling them back is that we limit how many clients we can take on by raising our minimums on um, what you have to have in assets to come work with an investment advisor. So you see how the wealthy can go out and afford to hire somebody like a wealth manager, and really make sure they make the right decisions. Meanwhile, the bottom 20% are making these dreadful decisions that are just killing and really becoming a financial cancer and taking away their retirement. And that's why I'm hoping that if we, through, these, through things like this podcast, you can listen to this, get motivated, get inspired to go out there and do research, to figure out what you can do to better yourself, to take control of that steering wheel and drive yourself into a comfortable retirement because it is completely on you. This is an individual thing that you have to do is by listening to podcasts, reading books out there um, to make yourself a better investor. And I think that's such an important thing that you've got to do if you're going to prepare yourself and be successful and become financially, truly financially independent. And I don't mean to be so harsh about this um, podcast today, but... I've got to tell you, and I'm going to wrap this up, kind of the closing thing I want to tell you is that a lot of people are starting to realize, especially the baby boomers, that unless they get their act together, or maybe it might even be too late for a few of them, but for young people, listen up. If you're not taking this serious, if you're not realizing that your retirement is completely in your hands, your retirement's going to consist of you working for the rest of your life. And there's a lot of people out there just now realizing this. And it's and it's the fault. Sure, the corporations carry a lot of the blame because now it's on you personally. And let's face it, in high schools throughout the country, 
We're not educating our kids how to handle finances. The average individual doesn't understand. I've got people who come in making great incomes but still don't have a, a lick of common sense when it comes to handling their personal finances. This is a problem that all of America has is that the average person does not know how to handle their money. So please step up, educate yourself, Make yourself a very informed consumer because the best consumer is an informed consumer and take control of your financial independence. I hope I've scared you enough to make you take action. Please come to our website, money-guy.com. Check out that free link to go listen and watch this directly through your computer and watch this Frontline special. And until next time, may God bless you with good health, wealth, family, and friends. This is Brian.